beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Jeremy White and Bert Deister with you on ESPN 1520. Good morning. Good morning. You should be... Uh, People should be in a beer-making mood because the football team is going to make them want to drink more. Yeah, so I think you should be stocking up. If yeah. you know we're we're zero and two, and people are already talking about a playoff drought again for this year, you're going to need a lot of beer. So yeah. start stocking up and now. Actually, this weekend I think would be a great weekend to brew because you have Sunday wide open. You got it. You got it. I, I do love it. I, as much as it was hard to go through the rest of the week already knowing that we are zero and two with all the games to come on Sunday, it, it is nice, and we can kind of get to that point in Western New York where you know you start to get your Sundays back because you know the Bills are kind of eliminated but a, 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 pri- a prime time <laughs> yeah prime time game is really nice you know love watching it on a thursday night. yeah i mean i don't i don't mind it freeing up a little weekend action watch some other games brew some beer hang out enjoy fall i mean the weather's yeah. been uh, beautiful all right so we've got lots to get to uh first let's start with the niagara homegrown homebrew competition which the entry deadline was last weekend yep how many entries how's we it got look 17 entries and <clears throat> i know that doesn't sound great immediately but it was actually a little bit more than we were thinking we were going to get granted all the stipulations on this competition. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we you know, eliminated a couple of categories and that we had this, you know, 80% rule on the Niagara Mall. Um, so it kind of only left all grain brewers. And a few brewers started brewing all grain in order to enter the competition, which is, you know, awesome as well. Mm-hmm. But we got 17 entries. Um, and again, yeah, no, thank you everybody for entering. Um, you know, everybody got them in uh, right around the entry deadline. We'll say that. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, they're sitting. We can't wait to crack them open. And it looks like you got some real variety of beers. As well. For 17 beers, there are 17 very different beers, it seems. For the 17 uh, contestants' entrance, what's the timeline looking like? You mentioned they'll sit for two weeks, and they'll then? They'll sit for two weeks. So next, after next weekend, we'll start judging, and then the following weeks we'll do the best of show. So there's going to be two flights to the judging. One with kind of preliminary round of elimination, and then a best of show round after that. And so... I would say expect your, you know, the results in about uh, two weeks from now. Okay, very good. All right, so uh, going back to last week, we talked a lot about pumpkin beer, and actually there's a new product you guys have in, some new products, I should say, uh, for other fruit beer and fruit, yeah. fruit stuff. So what's going on with your new we fruit presses? We have new stainless steel fruit presses, um, and they're nice, small, kind of tabletop options. We've been able to get in a few tabletop presses, but these ones are really a lot cheaper, about half the price of what we were stocking before. They are about half the size. But if you're doing you know, one-gallon batches or you're doing syrups or fruit to add to beer, add to other products, they're a great little size. They're stainless steel, so you'll be able to wash them out really real quick, um, and put them away. But the big thing with the press, and you hear a lot of people in western New York have these big uh, iron uh, enamel-painted and wood-caged presses concreted into their basements from Prohibition era, and they're huge. They, they work well. And, you know, they're kind of cumbersome to kind of work these big wood ratcheting press. You have to ratchet a little bit, back it off, add more wood blocks, ratchet it down again. Um, with these small fruit presses, they run off a... A thingle rod that goes through a yoke over top. So there's no resetting. You just continually press. Uh, you don't have to go back and work in wood blocks. And being so small, if this is something that you're going to do seasonally, just with maybe fruit from the garden or something like that, you can take this, clean it up, 
put it in a cupboard and hide it till next fall. And examples of like fruits you use in this or this would be for, perfect for? Well, you could one, you could use it for if you had like one day, a lot of people have one vine in the backyard of grapes. So maybe what's going to produce upwards of a gallon to three gallons. This is again, is going to be perfect presses for your size. Or if you have like, you know, say like, you know, plums or peaches and, and you don't want to do a load, but you want to say, do make a gallon of juice, maybe just to, you know, serve, not to ferment. Uh, this is going to be a great press, great product for you. All right. Very good. So new Italian tabletop presses in, uh, and, Price point on these? I mean, or price point? They're starting around a seventy dollars. Gotcha. Um, which is uh, good compared to, uh, we'll say, the previous alternatives. Um, not to dig on the the kind of value that you are getting at about three hundred dollars for a large traditional wood press, and you do get a lot more torque. So if you're trying to press five gallons of apples at a time or something like that, you're going to have to go with the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it. This is a great kind of starting price point. Um, and again, the space, I think, is the, the big thing for a lot of people. You won't have to store this full press year-round. All right. Very good. Well, on to the topic for today, which is cider and a bit of a refresher in cider making and all that. I actually was going to – one of the questions I wanted to bring up this week, I wanted to ask you um, if there's controversy from brewers when it comes to cider about using hops to dry hop a cider. Like how often is that done I, it's it's done fairly often by homebrewers, especially with like kind of American citrus varieties, and I would say this is definitely kind of a, a newer American tradition. Yeah, um, cider making. You're saying, or well, no, no, the the, 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 hop, the hopping of the cider. The, the, you know, kind of, and you know, I imagine that there's uh, you know some people point and you know, look at the Americans are adding hops to just about everything now, but it works. You know, you don't want to go overpowering. For those of you who have made cider before, we get into the how tos here in the basics. Uh, don't go overpowering with it. Add it. You know, really, just like you would a dry hop, and don't leave it on for more than two to three weeks. But um, yeah, no, like half a ounce of Cascade to an ounce and. A, five-gallon batch of cider really kind of adds some nice fruit flavors to it. All right. So it's it's fairly common. It's legit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So when it comes to making cider, you, we, we talk a lot about home brewing uh, beer and wine making, but you guys have everything you need to make cider. You got it. And if you already are making beer or wine, you already have the stuff you need as well to make cider. And again, we tell those people all the time, if you buy the equipment for one, um, you're using the same species of yeast for all the fermentations. Um, you can use that equipment across the board. So you can use the same fermenting bucket racking tube for wine one week, beer the next week, and cider the week after. Mm. So you can use it across the board. And we have you, if you don't have equipment, we have you covered. And everything from one gallon, you know, and up to 15, 20-gallon fermenters. I wouldn't suggest starting at 15 or 20-gallon <laughs> fermenters. A lot of cider. You got it. Um but, yeah, we have all the equipment, and we do have some, you know, both apple, pear, concentrates. And we tend to stock uh, more of what's available outside the area. So we stock a lot of, like, English um, apples and pear concentrates and stuff like that. So, But this is a great time of year if you're trying to get local product. What's the time frame on a cider? Same as a beer? Um, It can be. I tend to push mine kind of more, even though I'm doing a lower alcohol, usually I tend to push it more into the wine aging, um, partially because I try to do malactic fermentation on it usually. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But 
you can be anywhere if you you want to have something that we'll say has a lot of green flavor and a lot of you know tartness to it you can be drinking the cider within a couple of weeks kind of your same time frame as a quick beer you can also turn this into a nice high alcohol project that you can sit in the basement and age for years to come and it's really up to you and kind of up to what juice you get which is kind of the exciting thing about cider making and type Types of cider? I mean, beer, there's obviously an infinite amount. How many types of cider, different kinds? There's a lot make? of different types of cider, but to kind of make it simple, we'll, we'll break them down into like kind of two categories or two sets of two categories here. So we have still or sparkling and sweet or dry ciders. And you can also, we'll add spice as another X factor in there. Um, but if I could advise people to what the first thing, if you're coming into our store, Uh, to make cider if you're going to a mill to pick up juice is you have to decide first what you want to make because it's going to make a difference of what type of juice you're trying to get or what you're going to do to start the process. So you kind of want to think about that, whether you want it still or sparkling, sweet or dry, whether you want to spice it, and how high do you want the alcohol kind of before you get started. Okay. So what are you looking for in the juice when you're when you're picking up cider? Well, there's plenty of places to pick it up around here, um, and you're able to find from these you know, many local mills, a variety of uh, products. And they're usually going to, we'll break it down into two. There's going to be the lower sugar content juice that is usually intended for drinking, not fermenting. And that's going to be the stuff that you see when you go to a mill or you go to a farmer's market, just sitting in the one gallon milk jugs. Um, Hopefully it's been UV pasteurized. Um, UV pasteurization is okay. Um, when and it's pref- you'd say it's preferred. I would say it's preferred because it skips sulfiting it for the first um, 48 hours. You don't have to add sodium metabisulfite and wait to pitch the yeast. You can take it home that day and immediately put yeast right into it. Um, the things you want to watch out for is sodium um, benzenate and potassium sorbate are the two stabilizers that will fermentation that you often see put into cider. Now, if you're picking up local cider, I would say you won't even have to check the labels. Um, pretty much every mill that I've ever bought cider from around here has been UV pasteurizing uh, and preservative-free. So it's really as easy as coming home, opening up the jug, and pouring it into the fermenter. They'll have another product as well. Now, this one you're going to have to buy usually in five gallons, and you have to leave a bucket behind. But what they'll do is they'll wait until they get enough apples and enough uh, people looking for juice that they'll press a whole run of just cider making apples so they'll wait until they get you know 20 people in or 10 people in to have buckets that are ready and they get all these apples that they've then separated because they're not the standard eating apples they're higher sugar content they're a little higher acid content and they'll press those alone um and the difference is almost um double so you'll see 21 bricks or higher Sometimes, and if you're waiting really late in the season with this kind of, uh, you know, cider uh, press, mm-hmm. if you go for like the kind of general eating press, you're looking somewhere closer to about six, you know, five or six. So it's drastic difference in the amount of sugar content and drastic in the product you'll get in the long run. One's going to have a lot more residual acids and tannins, and that's going to have more flavor. And then again, the kind of the drinking over-the-counter product is going to be light, delicate, and low in alcohol, somewhere around 5%. Um, So you may want to decide what you want to get. My suggestion is get some of both. Both? Both, yeah. Make some of both. You want to age some of both 
make some of both. But now that you've decided what to make, you're going to have to first look at the alcohol alcohol content and looking at your hydrometer. You want to add corn sugar to kind of bring it up to your desired ABV. So you want to drop the hydrometer in there, sanitize, check the sugar content, then look at the potential alcohol and add either corn sugar, you can use honey, you can use more apple juice concentrate, you can so use is, table sugar. Is there more of a controlling of the ABV in cider than, more, than beer, really? Well, I mean, just... there is in beer as well. And I guess as you, if you have really good... Um, consistent efficiency, you can really predict what your recipe is going to get in brewing. Uh, With cider making, the original content of the cider is almost always a complete unknown. Uh, Then you take a hydrometer reading and you can either add water to make it a little bit lower or begin to add some type of fermentable sugar to bring it up. Once you do that, you kind of want to choose a yeast to fit as well. So if you're doing a real high alcohol product, you probably want to choose a wine yeast, particularly a champagne yeast. Now, if you're doing the lower alcohol content, that really opens up the possibilities. You can add English ale yeast. You can add Belgian yeast. You can add cider-specific yeast. We have a lot of yeasts that are for cider. Um, And you you can still use wine yeast as well. Very good. So there are two different types of fermentation or, or like when you when you talk about this the process malolactic fermentation is again the, the malolactic fermentation is uh, something that's commonly done on cider. You also see it done on wine often. And what you have is a malolactic bacteria that kind of similar to adding uh, lactobacillus or acetobacter pediococcus or Britannomyces to a Belgian beer um, late in the fermentation. You'll do the same thing with the malolactic culture. Um, and it's what it does is kind of in its name. It t- turns uh, malic acid into lactic acid. Now, lactic acid, uh, same lactic acid we produce in our muscles, um, is sweet. And so it kind of gives the beer this sweet and creamy or the, I'm sorry, the cider, a sweet and creamy flavor. And it's a nice way, if you don't mind a very long aging time and a very long secondary, to kind of produce a nice, sweet, well-rounded cider. Mm-hmm. And the bacteria is going to kind of do that on its own for you. All right, let's get you a break, and we'll finish up on uh, how to make a good batch of cider if you're thinking of going that way. Uh, great weekend to do it, and, of course, a lot of the local, um, uh, if you want, apple juice, fresh-pressed apple juice. You can find it lots of places, a variety of products. And you guys have that stuff as well if needed? or We do. Okay, we do. very good. All right, so we'll finish up on how to make your first batch of cider, uh, a bit of a refresher here. Niagara Traditions just brew it on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520, making cider today and taking you... Through that process, all you could need, you can get it. Niagara Tradition uh, opening, of course, soon after the show, 10 a.m. You guys are You got open, it. We're open. Closed tomorrow and uh, with no Bills game. I mean, you know, it's a great day to brew, so we're running through some cider ideas for you. So want to start with still cider? 
Yeah, and we'll start with doing a still cider because that's probably the easiest. So you, you've already gotten your juice. You've added your yeast. You went through a traditional primary fermentation, maybe a secondary with some malolactic bacteria, and now you're moving on to bottling. Uh, if you're doing a still cider, you can pretty much bottle in anything from uh, wine bottles to beer bottles, easy cap bottles. Uh, you can do mason jars and stuff like that if you want. The only problem with the mason jar is you have a very wide surface area. So you can pretty much put a still cider into anything you want. The other advantage of a still cider is you get to stabilize it. And that's you would do just like wine by adding potassium sorbate, sodium metabisulfite. You want to do a clarifier then if you need as well. But this is going to prevent the cider from oxidizing, which I really like, so you won't get any color change. But it's also going to prevent the yeast from ever re-fermenting. And this is a very easy way if you want to make a sweet cider. So usually pairing this still process with a higher alcohol cider that you're going to sweeten up later. Um, it's simple as making a simple syrup solution and sweetening it to your kind of preferred taste. Um, table sugar is actually often my preferred here, um, mostly because it doesn't add any acids or tannins. It just brings up the sweetness, so I still get kind of the original flavor. You also don't have to use very much to get your desired sweetness. Other sugars um, you can use are like honey. Uh, you can use, you know, apple uh, concentrate to sweeten the cider. But again, these are also going to change the flavor a bit on you as well. Now, doing the carbonated cider gets a little bit more tricky unless you want a dry finish. If you want a dry finish, you're going to add priming sugar just like you would beer. Now, you have to put it into uh, beer bottles, so basically something that's held carbonation before. It could be an easy cap bottles. I really do like the easy cap bottles for my cider. Um, and you're going to put that sugar in. It's going to be consumed by the yeast, and that's going to get you your carbonation. Um, now, if you want to add sweetness, it gets a little tricky because just like doing beer, if you add sugar, the yeast will eat it. And if you add more than you want for carbonation, inevitably you'll end up with the least gushers and at the worst, bottle bombs. Mm. Um, so a simple way is to add a zero-calorie sweetener. Not being sugar, it's not fermentable, and you'll get a little bit of sweetness, but you won't get any added carbonation. Um, now, a lot of people don't want to go through that or kind of cheap method. And let me tell yeah. you, that makes it really easy. You can grab a couple of things of Splenda, you know, from your local coffee place. And, you know, Good if you're doing go. a gallon or two, it'll mm -hmm. only take a couple of those little packets to get you the desired sweetness that you want. How difficult is it? You say some people don't like to, to take that shortcut. If you don't take that shortcut... What do you do? How how precise do you kind of have to be? If you have a kegging system, and again, if, if you've noticed that this is a kind of a continual topic on this show, that if you have a kegging system, your brewing life will be much easier. If you have a kegging system, you can simply just throw it into a keg, cold crass it, add sorbate, add your sweetener, and then artificially carbonate it. You don't need the yeast for your carbonation, and so you can just cheat and add it in artificially. Um if you're not doing that and you're going into bottles, you're going to have to do something to stop that fermentation. And there's really two options here. The first option, this is common among many soda pot makers, is just to cold crash it. So you're going to take and bottle all your cider. You're going to bottle it with not only the sugar you would want for carbonation, but as well as adding, again, your simple syrup solution or more apple concentrate to get it to a sweetness level that you like. Once you've done that, you bottle it. Now, I'd really suggest bottling one plastic recycled pop bottle. You can go back to this pop bottle uh, multiple times a day over the next, if I had to take a guess, you know, 
anywhere from three days to if the cider's been sitting around, it may take a couple of weeks. Um, but you're going to squeeze on this pop bottle, and you're, when it starts to feel firm, you take all the bottles and throw them into the bottom of the refrigerator. And this cold crashing stood, should stop the yeast fermentation anyways. Um, just a warning, you have to keep those bottles in the fridge. If they warm back up, they're going to start fermenting again. So if you travel with them, you need to keep them cold. Um, and that can be a little inconvenient. How, how quick me. can that process start? Like you need to keep them on ice? I've, I've had it happen on a two-hour trip down to, I think it was Allegheny. So cider that was fine, had some a couple of nights before, pulled it out of the fridge, put it in no cooler in a trunk of a car, mm-hmm. used easy cap bottles, thank God. And when I opened up the trunk, the easy cap bottles had begun venting foam as they warmed up over top of my... Uh, exhaust pipe, and had sprayed all over the inside of the trunk. So a matter of hours uh, to give people the, the worst-case scenario. So it's not something you want to tempt, we'll say that. Yeah. Um, now, you do have another option to kind of make the bottles shelf-stable, and that is pasteurizing them in the bottle. And this can be um, a bit tricky. And to be quite honest, I haven't done this in a few years, and when I did it, I did still keep the bottles in the refrigerator. So I kind of double-checked myself. But a lot of home brewers swear by this method, um, and it's becoming more common. And it does allow you to get natural carbonation and then still relieve a little bit of residual sweetness. And again, the easy cap bottles I know are kind of preferred on this. And we do have those in a variety of colors and a variety of sizes in store if you need. Um, but you're going to bottle it all. Kind of same as the process with the pop bottle and if you were cold crashing, you want to get the whole batch well carbonated and then you're going to begin in batches pasteurizing the bottles and that should kill the yeast. Now it only takes a short time at about 165 to 170 uh, degrees to kill the yeast um, and it, doing this for just a few minutes and at that low of a temperature you're not going to be uh, hopefully changing the flavor content of the cider or um, uh, causing it to explode by raising the temperature and lowering the gas holding capacity of the liquid. Um, and you should be okay with the bottles as far as the temperature so you're not going to crack the glass. Um, so the first thing you want to do is take all the bottles and put them in a sink full of warm water. You're doing this to try to prevent any temperature shock. At the same time, you're going to take your brew pot and you're going to heat up water enough to submerge the bottles. Um, or Well, actually not. Let me start because you got to add them all in there. So you, you probably want to put about, we'll say, six inches in the bottom of your brew pot and bring that up to 180 degrees. Turn off the heat, kind of let it even out for a minute, and then start putting all the beer bottles in there. And I usually leave them in for about 10 minutes, and you just want to check on the pot to make sure that you don't get below 170 degrees as they sit there over the next couple minutes. Because if you're trying to achieve 170 degrees in the bottle, you have to make sure the water around it is not above that. And we're kind of trying to stay below 180 here um, because that way we won't cause any flavor change. We won't cause any pectin reaction. You shouldn't get any uh, color change or any lumpy bits in the cider. But after that 10 minutes uh, is over, pull the bottles out, let them sit on the counter uh, to cool down slowly before putting them in the basement or putting them in the fridge, and those should be shelf-stable. I should be able to hold on to those for a long time.
Okay. But yeah, that's that's about it. I mean, there's other things you can do too. If if we've kind of inspired you here, you can also make you know apple jack which is a common product around here what is Hopefully that we have a nice cold winter for it usually what you do is you make a very strong apple cider uh something around 18 percent, and then you begin freezing it outside scooping off the ice to reduce the water content by doing that you end up with a very sweet kind of apple brandy hmm. which is also fun to make and that's just as simple as that just over and over freezing it and taking out the yeah, water you got it freeze it scoop out the ice and do that over and over again over the course of a nice cold night in the driveway or garage, and you end up oh. with some nice apple brandy, too. So apple there's a lot of, Yeah, there's a lot of options for what you want to do with the apple juice. And if I could give one bit of advice to everybody is decide ahead of time what you want to make before you start the process because it's going to really control what you're making early on as far as the alcohol content, what type of juice you're going to get, and everything down the road. One thing we didn't mention was what about um – we we talked about early on about about getting the pressed pressed apple juice. What about mm, doing that myself? Doing that yourself? Um, Not it, worth it. Um, I do three gallons. I do have access to some apple trees uh, in the family, and I do uh, a few gallons every year. Try to. Um, I used to take them, wash them, crush them, um, and then press them. Uh, now doing my small amounts, I actually use a juicer. Um, it takes a lot of apples to get a lot of juice. I mean, we're talking probably about 12 pounds or more of apples to get almost a gallon of juice. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, you're going to need something to crush it. That can be a home, like, blender or can be by hand. Um, and you're also going to need something to press it out with. Mm -hmm. And so there's a bigger equipment investment, and there's, again, plenty of places um, these are not the only places, uh, but I usually go to Cherry Bank and uh, Blackman Farms. I, I try to get juice from both every year if I can. Um, and there's so many places that are pressing great juice <laughs> at a very low cost. Um, if you have the trees and you want to do it, it is feasible. It is a long, sticky day, and you will have to fight off a lot of yellow jackets if mm. you're doing it outside. So try to do it on a nice cold day where there's not a lot of bugs around. How about, is there a right kind of apple? There, there is a, definitely a right kind of apple, um, and we do have them around here. Uh, these heritage kind of cider apples, whether they're American or English, and I, I hate to say it, I don't really know a lot of the, uh, the different common varieties, although I know we have some common varieties that you see around. They'll usually be smaller. They'll be uh, more, I would say, a, a deeper green. Um, and when you bite into them, they're going to be kind of sickly sweet and tart. Because after fermentation, it takes away some of the sugar, takes away some of the flavor. Um, they have a little more left over to kind of give you at the end. And that's why they're better suited a lot of times for especially the higher alcohol ciders. All right. Very good. Cider, do it this weekend and enjoy your Sunday off. You got it. And if you already feel like this is a rebuild year, rebuild the home brewery and go brew yourself. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.